Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. I'm taking it easy on the voice today. That's I, fine. I, I have some tea here. That's fine. I, I was a little bit under the weather myself a couple days ago. Um, so, uh, before we get started, we just have those news that dropped just now. Well, not now, but earlier today. And one of the uh, film streaming services known as Filmstruck which was basically a Turner Classic Movies slash Criterion uh, no. foundation, is going out of business. Yep. Uh, and since people's access to movies is predominantly through streaming services, this means a lot of like important movies are going to be harder to see. Right, and, and this was a decision by, by <sighs> Warner Media. And it is one of those things where more and more, you've, uh, you and I have talked about this before, but hmm. it becomes apparent that studios really don't care about your access to things they have done in the past. They yeah, only care about your access to... do not. They don't care about the preservation of stuff, and they only care about the movies they've made today. Uh, yeah, we've talked the, a little uh, bit about with William Friedkin's attempt to get the right to his own movie. And how neither studio wanted to admit they had anything to do with it because then they might actually have to pay something. Um, but this uh, is also like, it's it's one of those that sorry it's just it's one of those things that winds me up a lot because it's it's clearly like film studios, especially when we get deeper into award seasons, love to ride the coattails of the artistic prestige of film as an art form. But the minute that it comes to, like, how do we preserve and make sure people have access to the history of film, suddenly the business side is, is like, well, art, what's this all about? We don't have the money to... Right, monocles. right. Monocles pop out of eyes across the West Coast. Because they cut people still well monocles. I, it's, look, I don't live there, but I assume. <laughs> but- I, you would tell me if they didn't. I trust you. Right, right, and as far as I know, everyone, I, every fat cat that I've seen wears a monocle <laughs> and twirls a cane and has a handlebar mustache, the whole nine yards. Um, yes. But no, film preservation is a thing, and Martin Scorsese is trying really hard, but it's going to take more than one person. And yeah. as of right now, like, there's this idea that streaming or digital will save film and it's not yeah. because a lot of these companies are realizing that all the libraries that they converted to digital they need to all of a sudden convert to hard copy because they realize the backup data they have is only going to last another 10 years yeah like digital is not forever right uh, in terms of archiving in terms of like owning digital copies of things we've seen many times that that is not set in stone right. no matter how much you paid I believe there's too much faith and not enough education based on how people view digital ownership Mm. of uh, media like that. Yeah. I used to have uh, an assignment that I would make undergrads do to try and translate uh, user agreements into readable speech. Right. And it's uh, nobody likes to do it, but it's an important (laughs) thing to consider how much you don't do it, considering that user agreement defines how much you own the things that you buy. Right. And not only that, but that's kind of brilliant because that's like, okay, what does it really say? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it was, I didn't make everyone do it separately. Like, I broke the class up. It's like, okay, this group of people is going to work on this section. This group is going to do that. But it was, it was, it, it's something, it's a, it's a form of torture that I think was important. And uh, you'll never convict me. No, so. no, it's actually fine. It's like an actual <laughs> practical lesson to teach. <laughs> All of all of my uh, all of my pedagogical frames are about uh, driving people insane in ways that I think are productive. Um, I'm uh, enraged by this simply because I have never been able to afford Filmstruck, and I was finally yeah, getting to either. a place where I was being able to save up, and I was going to be able to actually subscribe to Filmstruck. And then I find yeah. out it's going to end at the uh, end of November, and I'm like, yeah. God damn it! It's. Uh... Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I still have, like, sideways access to Canopy for, like, a little while longer, and they, they have some good stuff through that. Uh, Canopy is uh, still going. For those of you who don't know, if you have a library card, uh, an entire Criterion collection is available on Canopy. Yeah. Uh, the oh, search like, check, engine check is what... for shit, but... Oh, God, yeah, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but but it's worth digging through. Um, oh, yeah. And, it, like, it, it has a pretty good recommendation algorithm too like just like oh here's some stuff that's similar to like okay especially since it's not as scattershot as like the youtube recommendation algorithm oh, which is 
which which defaults to uh, well after you're done with this, have you tried fascism? But what's you know, uh, even worse like about it's, YouTube it's... stuff? Uh, yeah. On my Facebook, on my social media stuff on Sundays, I do uh, trailers of yesteryear. Oh no! What is that? What does that cause to happen? Uh, well, no, I just I put up old trailers. Okay. But when I when I put in like the name of a movie slash trailer, there are videos up there that have the title of a movie and trailer, mm. and it's just random scenes of the movie. Oh boo! Not the and trailer. I'm like, that's, just like that's stop. not a tra- okay. I, it's called a trailer. But there's no one there to say, yeah, that's a trailer, that's not a trailer. <laughs> it's almost like YouTube is the world's worst self-driving car. That all it ever does <laughs> is drive us off cliffs. It's Tunsis, the, the search engine. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's a nice cut. Um, thank you. I felt good about it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's terrible. Uh, check with your local library to see what streaming services they use. And if you have other art forms that you like aside from film, you should look into how things are archived. Because <laughs> I, know, I know that the world is on fire in a lot of ways right now. But if you have a particular art form that you care about, be it movies, video games, television, how that is kept for people to see later is something that uh, not you, you will often be staggered how, how few people are really working on. Well, and uh, I know a lot of artists are betting on Netflix and they love the fact that Netflix gives them a home. Yeah. And I understand that. I There's also don't know what happens basket. when Netflix goes away. A lot of eggs in that basket. I also know that Netflix is canceling a lot of shows that aren't being made in-house. Yeah, I also yeah, yeah. know that Netflix doesn't tell us who sees what movies. I, I'm, there's a lot yeah. about Netflix that is very similar to Amazon, and somehow Netflix gets a lot more artistic credit. Yeah, I think mainly just because it's been in that it's been in the we get movies and TV from it domain for long. I mean, you know, we used to get discs in the mail. Well, no, not, it used to be like I used to go to Netflix for like the weird archaic stuff, like Werewolf yeah. on Wheels and stuff like that. I, I would go to Netflix, <laughs> and now you type in classic, classics and you get Clerks, and Clerks is a classic. But when you're looking at an archive of you know digital film. That's yeah. what you have. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it used to be Casablanca was just part of the streaming thing. Now I don't think they even have that. Yeah. I, the the shifting of what they have is also like. Right. Yeah. Uh, also, just, although I do feel compelled, uh, if you go to YouTube, uh, Warner Brothers has the majority of the film archive on YouTube for free, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there you can you can find a lot of like legitimately uploaded stuff on YouTube sometimes, and it is every time I remember that I'm a little surprised because I'm used to it just being like pirate posted by randos. There are avenues to do it. It's just also like it becomes a thing when it becomes so scattershot, it's going to be harder to find. Can and I? Uh, the whole point of digital is the fact that it makes it easier to find. Uh, as as we transition out of this depressing segment, can I can I tell you one YouTube search hole that is always a pleasure to fall down? Okay. Um, so is it's it related. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, because that's what mine is. Oh man. Uh, no. What it is is you can find on YouTube the ads and previews that were on VHS copies of movies that we had when we were kids. And I think we (laughs) may have talked about this before, but I always forget and then remember, and it's amazing. (laughs) It's fantastic. Uh, And it's like, if you're you're a certain, like, if you were born in the 80s or earlier, like, it's, it's worth... Uh, wondering if you're younger than that, you, it's it's none of it is worthwhile in any way. Don't look at it. But uh, but like the the you know Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny shilling Warner Brothers gear from the VHS copy of Batman uh, is I will always be happy to see that. Right. All right. So that's the news segment. Moving on to the topic of the day, yes. which is more what... more bad things. <laughs> what makes a bad movie bad? Yes. And, and, of course, the first thing that we're going to do is say, well, there's not just one kind of bad. Well, because it's popular in the lexicon. You hear a lot of people say it's a bad movie, but I enjoyed it. Like, uh, And there are sort yeah. of like bad movie cults. The Room is a bad movie, yeah. but people unironically love it. 
Yeah, and I mean, I I've said before I don't have much interest in the room as a cult movie, but I, I, I understand. Like you know, I'll I'll let people have their fun unless they bring it unless they make the mistake of bringing it up to me to my face, and then I will attempt <laughs> and then I will attempt to guilt them for liking something that uh, caused human suffering. But right. well, in that case, you can't like any movie ever because I'm going right. to tell you right now, almost every movie has caused human suffering. That's true. It is a bizarre, uh, insane, archaic way to create art. And yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, don't. I mean, do like look into the the ways that that people who make films should be better uh, supported and protected because that's important. But well, no, but no I'm just you... mean like even on a good film set, like oh yeah, it's, it's, it's an insane process. The amount yeah. you like, well, I mean, we had any... the producers on talking about it. The amount of stuff you oh, have yeah. to do. <laughs> the amount of people that people become responsible for—it's a whole. Anyway, bad movies. <laughs> There's a lot of different kinds of bad movies, and okay. I don't even think the room is something we talk about in the the categorization that you put together here. But but uh, but guide. Okay, okay. So the room is a, an example of a bad movie that is almost incomprehensibly bad. Like it makes <laughs> no sense how anyone. <laughs> Who put that together? Like how anyone making it thought they were making something. Like yeah, just both the disaster artists and the people who have been involved in making the room have gone out of the way to say that the Seth Rogen character in the disaster artist is a miracle worker because he's the one who took everything that was so shot and made what we now know is the room, which is as close to anyone can come to as a cohesive narrative. The the strange necromancy of film editing, right? And like that, and the thing with the room is, it makes no sense scene to scene, frame to frame, or oftentimes within the same frame. It it is bad filmmaking, and yet we manage to find enjoyment out of it, as Dan Olson says, because even bad art is inherently fulfilling to some degree. Yeah, there's there's an interesting argument. The the closest I've ever been to being interested in the room. Well, there were two things, but I'll say the one that is relevant. Uh, in one of uh, the YouTuber H Bomber guy's videos, he does an interesting reading where he uses the insanity of the the plot to make a commentary about how people in how people look at their and their broken relationships after they're over. Mm-hmm. And how they like demonize the people that aren't them. Like so, Wiseau's character was was so perfect and what and never did anything wrong, and everyone was just cruel to him for no reason because that's how the argument was because that's how Wiseau saw himself in relationships that failed. Is it's always the other people, and it's 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 that's very like, attempting to yeah, it's very it's very attempting to diagnose the author type argument, but it's made fairly well. Right. Uh, and and quite honestly, I don't feel bad about anyone trying to diagnose Tommy Wiseau. Wow. <laughs> uh, normally, that's not a good thing to do, but you know, sometimes. Uh... So when it's as ripe as Tommy Wiseau, is you can diagnose away. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, but, uh, there was a. You said there was another thing. Oh no, no! I was just wanted to get back to the list as as you had prepared it. Okay, uh, of, so type of bad uh, movies. The other type of bad is it takes place in an alternate reality. And what this means is, okay, perfect example. uh, Roger Ebert once said about Roadhouse, this movie (laughs) would be offensive if it took place in anything resembling a recognizable reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Those movies like, are like it's... Roadhouse or Highlander, things like these. These aren't legit. Okay, Highlander is a magnificent movie, but <laughs> when you watch a movie like that, and like this doesn't like. There's a movie that takes place in the mis- and then there are movies that are like, okay, I guess you could call that a reality. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not trying to like the the secret to Roadhouse is it's not trying to be real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> When, when Although, the badass is Patrick Swayze, you've taken a weird turn. <laughs> He's going to rip out throats all day. Um, that fight scene alone is a perfect example. Uh, look, Jeremiah, I think we all know that pain don't hurt. <laughs> there is... Ugh, no, I'm not going to go on a tangent. I'm just That made me all think right. of another thing, but for another day. Um, I like the fact that on your list of, of movies, bad movies that take place in an alternate reality, uh, over the top is always good to see. Uh, <laughs> could you, I have could never you describe seen... it for the audience in in one sentence? 
uh, what Over the Top is about, in case they don't know. If you have not seen Over the Top, it is a Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie in which he plays a truck driver trying to get back his son while also uh, uh, entering into an international arm wrestling competition. And it is as overwrought and melodramatic. And he plays a character, by the way, named Lincoln Hawk. Oh, God. Man, I'm not sure if I've uh, ever had that on trailers or yesterday. I might actually put that on there for this Sunday, but anyway. The, the strange underworlds that truckers were embroiled in <laughs> in movies of that era, because I also think of the uh, Clint Eastwood ape movies. Oh, uh, Any Which Way But Loose. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, speaking of Stallone movies, they're also bad, bad movies. Um like Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash is still entertaining, but it's also a movie that's bad. Like, hmm. it's so bad you can't really believe you're watching it. <laughs> it's also one of those movies that it's hard to talk about because most of it dissipates after you watch it. So it's like junk food bad. Right. It's bad and it doesn't really stick with you. And there's a, there, are, there are corollary good movies like that where it's like, oh, that was fun, and then it's gone. Right, no, like, I love Tango and Cash, but I also understand it's also a... Like, the only thing that stands out for me in Tango and Cash, outside of Russell and Drag, is the bizarre ornateness of the um, burlesque stage that they go to, where it's large enough to where Terry Hatcher can ride into the showroom on a motorcycle onto the stage. And, I mean, that's a hell of a venue. Like, right. that's... And thirdly, the weird sort of pseudo-incest relationship they imply between Stallone and Hatchin. Oh. Because that's because it's the 80s, and they will never not get messed up when it comes to relationships. Yeah. The 80s uh, finds a way. I want you to understand that that blessing, though, I hadn't seen anything as weird as that until I saw Ken, which is a movie I saw like a month ago. Oh. Also, the the fact that um, Stallone is the straight-laced one in the Buddy Cop movie. <laughs> no, no, he's not the straight-laced one. He's the intellectual one. You know oh. because he wears suit and glasses. He wears, he wears glasses? <laughs> they, put, they put 80s nerd glasses on Stallone. Yeah, and he reads the Wall Street Journal. Kurt Russell's <laughs> a manly man and, of course, doesn't read such high, high-for-looting papers. Um, oh. And then you yep. have Just Bad with his Suicide Squad. Oh, the fact that they're bringing James Gunn in to try and salvage that train wreck is the oh. most interesting thing that I have seen. It is the one thing that they did that could make me give a crap about Suicide Squad that, too. That choice, sorry, I'm derailing from the topic again, but like that choice does so much all at once. Like it thumbs its nose at Disney and it attempts to like redeem what is objectively one of the worst superhero movies counting the ones from the 90s like (laughs) yeah no it's a awful movie um uh, yeah also you 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 put life itself on that same uh life itself is insufferable and obnoxious and i want your (laughs) your written review of that is I have not seen Scorched Earth like that for a little while. Uh, I'm sorry that you had to watch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not making it up when I said I wanted to walk out within the first 10 minutes. Oh. Oh. But, I mean, uh, we'll, I mean we'll talk about it in a little bit. But I, I feel like since I, I, I went with uh, viewing Collateral Beauty uh, to, to bone up for this, um. I don't know, reading your take on life itself, I see a lot of parallels in what the scripts seem to be trying to do, although how like it is to watch uh, it seems like a, a life itself is just incomparably worse. Okay, a Collateral Beauty is a movie that is... There's a type of bad, and I put it with uh, bad because it takes place in alternate reality. Because you, it's a type of bad movie that which I'm like, you gotta see this. Like, it's nuts. Like, life itself is bad, and I don't wish that on anyone. It's it's so, like, it's a movie that clearly thinks it's wise while the dumbest things possible are happening. Not only that, but when you, okay, since you've seen it, I want you to explain to the audience 
collateral beauty because it's hard to describe in a sentence what collateral beauty is because it's one of those movies that just keeps getting more bug nutty as it goes along what if some of the best actors that you could think of off the top of your head were (laughs) like were forced at gunpoint one has to presume to spend somehow a mere hour and a half or no wait no no it was yeah yeah it was it was a 90 minute movie was it it felt yeah. like two okay man uh hold on let me check it was 97 minutes no uh, okay yeah. to be fair i had what's known as a big trouble which is a a bourbon drink that the arclight hollywood has i was missing <laughs> that throughout when i saw the movie so uh see that's what you get for drinking and deriding hey, uh, man, it was how i got through that movie like I can't, I can't do it. In there is no elevator pitch for this movie because it has too many stupid twists. Okay, and these aren't just, by the way, these aren't stupid in a sense. Like these are stupid in a way that I, if more screenwriters did this, <laughs> like it's, I, th- it reminds me, and this is the association that I, this is why I made this association with, um, with life itself, which, which again, I only know from your review and a couple other things I've looked into. Right, but it reminds me of the kinds of stories that people write when they're in a beginning, like an intro level fiction writing class, but they really want to do something like big and important and impactful. So they, they cram together like whatever, like broad sounding philosophical ideas that they can think of and whatever trauma and tragedy that is either timely at the moment or has personally happened to them. So it makes it super awkward when you're critiquing the story to their face. Uh, and like just mashing all of that together to try and get people to think that it is deep. Well, like, like just piling all of this stuff together to make it seem deep. Because and here's like, the thing: collateral uh, beauty, despite all the the in, insanity and nonsense in the story, yeah, it's technically a well-made movie. Like in terms of like. It moves. It's not. It's not, yeah. it's not badly edited or shot. The actors it's all do incomprehensible. Kill. In right. fact, part of the problem is they seem to have gotten across what they were trying to. <laughs> Kieran Knightley no does movie. a. Is it, yeah, Kieran Knightley, right? Yeah, yeah. Kieran Knightley it's, does a very good job as love, and but it's, it's just the fact that nobody stopped them. <laughs> right, and this is what like um, this is a, an example of a bad movie that is. It's technically well made. It's like it's not a movie that is awful in terms of lighting or how anyone behind the scenes. It's the no. fact that from the the very foundation of it is cracked. Because yeah. the plot of it is his best friends okay, Will Smith's daughter dies of brain cancer. And so because he's a human being, he's emotionally distraught. Yeah, just he's wrecked. And right. he's also like a, a very like rich and important uh, ad exec. Right. Wasn't that it? Yeah. yeah, and so his friends who wish to sell the company or sell the share can't do it without the majority say so, which is Will Smith. And since mm-hmm. he is so despondent and so cut off, he refuses to even communicate with them. So his best friends in the world decide to trick him to, into thinking he's gone insane, and so therefore I guess he'll be declared mentally incompetent so they can just get his shares and sell the company out from under him. These are yeah. his friends. And that's just the setup. Like, uh, yeah. It gets so... Oh, I... And then they hire actors, a troop of actors. Well, yeah, because he's, he's writing, because uh, part, of, part of him dealing with his grief is he's writing letters to abstract concepts. <laughs> uh, and, like, to, to work through his shit, which is not, you know, that's not, I don't have a problem with that premise exactly. Like, that, that's, that's, that's vintage ABC Cupid. Yeah, I can see a lot of this. That's that's part of the thing that I, I can see the logic behind a lot of this. Right. It's the fact that like it's it's almost a Rube Goldberg device though, because all <laughs> humanity is stripped from the players involved. Well, like, okay. Like Will Smith's character and like his family, like seem to have human emotions, but like I don't I don't know. That's okay. I don't. So moving on, it's like. So he's writing these letters to these abstract constructs. And so 
they hire a private investigator to follow him, and it's like, bad news, your friend is fine, and like, crap. Well, they happen to say, stumble upon the stupefactors, and then Nord's like, oh, hey, here's an idea, what if I hire you guys to play these constructs? And we will film you. And then we'll digitally remove you, so it looks like he's talking to no one. Not only that, but we will then show him the movie in the most Dr. Evil-looking lair, which is our office in the building. Like, super, like, like it's gaslighting with a budget. <laughs> but that's not, again, that's not the weird thing. Nope. The weird thing is, um, so Helen Moon plays Death. Um, yeah. uh, Keira Knightley plays Love. And yeah. I forget what's his face plays Time. Uh, Jacob Lattimore. Jacob I don't Lattimore. think I do not think I knew his name ahead of time. Um, yeah, he uh, he was in a movie called Slight, which is a much better movie than this, and actually worth watching. Um, this one, um, so of course, Ed Norton, Kate Winslet, and Michael Pena all also have issues dealing with them, and so they end up helping them while trying to help Will Smith come to his g- terms with his grief. Now, there is a woman that Will Smith has met randomly. She runs a grief. Uh, coping seminar, sort of an alcoholic anonymous for grief, for grief yeah. suffer, and he keeps like she's trying to entice him to join the group because he keeps showing up and not actually being involved. And there's this weird little relationship, and they kind of flirt off and on. And towards the end of the movie, we find out. What do we find out, Jeremiah? That Please she's, tell the audience. She invites them inside to her house. After one of the little walks and walk and talks, and when he sees pictures on her wall, pictures of his daughter and her mother, i.e., his wife, which is the woman he's been talking to this entire movie, he was, was so despondent he could never recognize his wife. Which, yeah, by the way, his friends, his best friends in the world, never once mentioned or thought to talk to about maybe helping them get through to the husband. It doesn't work on any level because it also, if they wanted to prove that he was mentally unfit... Right! It's right there! (laughs) They just bring the wife in and go, who's that? Who is that? Like, he... To to steal a line from Futurama, he was hit by a bout of explosive amnesia. (laughs) Like... But, like, laser-guided for some reason. And now, folks, we're not done yet, though. So... It turns out that Michael Pena is actually dying of cancer. <laughs> it turns out that Kate Winslet, who was trying to get pregnant... I forget, does she get pregnant or no? Uh, she does, I think. Right, uh, we'll get to that later because that, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. No, well, no I'm not sure. Cause... And then, of course, love helps Edward Norton rediscover that he is capable of loving his daughter. Um, it also turns out that Keira Knightley, Michael Pena, sorry, um, sorry, Keira Knightley, Helen Mirren, and Jacob Lattimore aren't just an acting troupe. They really are the physical embodiments of the constructs. We know this because there's a flashback, and Helen Mirren is comforting Will Smith's wife as her daughter is dying. Yeah. We know this, but the great thing is, okay, even we find out that they are the real physical embodiments of the constructs. Definitely are. And, but they still demand payment as a part of the acting troupe. So Kate Winslet <laughs> is forced to slip to the bad part of town, to which she says this is not the safe part of town, to give Jacob Lattimore some $15,000 for what? I don't know why time needs $15,000. Time's got a lot of side hustles going uh, on. Apparently, but they still... It's like, to make money. Essentially, what this movie is is an extensive con, like... The sting, from the universe's standpoint, to get fifteen thousand dollars. Get yeah to get, uh, to get a bag full of money from some rich assholes. Right, which uh, okay, and that's again that's bad in an alternate reality because a well-made movie and yet none of it makes sense. And it doesn't make sense in a foundational level in terms of the story, but it makes sense if you watch the movie. It's so impressed with its twists, though. Right. 
Oh yeah, no, no, it's absolutely, it's one of those movies that like when it unveils stuff, the way the music swells, like it's clearly obvious that it wants you to be in awe of itself, and it's like, no, I'm more just jaw gobsmacked that you think this is a thing. Because you know what, uh, Roadhouse wanted me to be impressed too, but Roadhouse <laughs> drove a monster truck over a bunch of <laughs> like. Roadhouse earned my being impressed, and I don't even like Roadhouse. Not because of anything wrong with uh, cheesy uh, movies, but because one of my roommates in college watched Roadhouse every day for a year. Right, well, this is going back to take something like Suicide Squad, which is more right. recent. Suicide Squad is bad on a fundamental technical film level. Yeah, but Suicide Squad is bad in a way you can learn something from. Exactly. Like it's it, Dan Olson has a video about the editing of Suicide Squad, which I encourage people. I've mentioned it before because I think it's a very instructional video on the yeah. basic foundations of film editing, and it, also it's an understanding of how a studio can take a project away from a director. Because David Ayer is a better filmmaker than how bad Suicide Squad is. Oh, and I'm not even a David Ayer apologist or even a fan, but I do like know he, he's. He's made movies that aren't terrible. Right. <laughs> but, and this is one of the things where, like, we've, what we're trying to get at is, like, there is a certain way a bad movie can be that can be entertaining, but still be well mm. made. So when you say a movie, it's not enough to say a movie is bad. You have to have yeah. a qualifier. Now, there are movies, like we mentioned, The Room, which I think is a safe bet. That's more of a, you know, people know that one. Which has... Yeah, people know... People know that the room is bad, and how they interact with that will will sometimes will I would argue will tell you a little bit about their tastes in film. Like the things that they that interest or disinterest them about their room about the room is its own little kind of litmus test. Right. Well, bad movies have a sort of cult following. Yeah. Bad movies like the room. Bad bad movies like the room have a cult following, yeah. and the sort of like a Mr. Science Theater has a cult following. Like, these these are movies that are bad that are Ed Wood, Tommy Wiseau. Birdemic bad. Right. But within uh, that bad movie cult, there is hmm. a very obvious strain of misogyny and racism. Oh, yeah. Like, there are... Uh, Tommy Wiseau alone in just making the movie and the way the female character, the women characters are treated in the room. Um, but there are a sort of prevalent amount of either attempted rape or actual rape scenes in a lot of times in bad movies. Yeah. It's not not to say that you can't talk about certain things in art, but there's a particular like approach to and deployment of that bad movies tend to go for. Well, that's just because also, and this is another thing, uh, bad movies are usually these movies are usually made by straight white dudes. They are afforded more so it's like the ultimate Chris Rock uh Chris Rock did a joke talking about the his neighborhood. He lives mm. next door to Eddie Murphy and Jay Z. Mm. And he's like Eddie Murphy is this the greatest com- uh stand up comic ever. That is who is on my block. He's an absolute one of the greatest stand up comedians ever. I also have Jay-Z, who's one of the greatest rappers ever, all right? These are my neighbors. Do you know what the most successful white guy in my block does? He's a dentist. Oh. Right, and so, and basically, the bad movie cult is basically that personified. These are white heterosexual film critics who, not film critics, film makers who have Freudian and slip has... To be able to, be able to, to fail... And still succeed. That many platforms and still be allowed to succeed is a that's a like if you need a definition of white privilege that's shorthand that's that's a pretty good one. Look, because <laughs> it, like and it's only until very recently, like we mentioned Collateral Beauty and we mentioned Suicide Squad, but even then, yeah. um, so, uh, Collateral Beauty is a rare exception of having a diverse cast. Yeah, having uh, and having it be like. It's bad, but it's not like a like morally offensive bad. Like it's trying. Yeah. It wants to be a melodramatic weepy. It's just bug nutty, and everything it's trying to do. 
it's bad because it's at least a good chunk of its screenplay is moon logic. Like, right, it's, it's moon logic, and it clearly so doesn't understand how people work. Yeah, uh, it's like it's like that thing that people complain about, where people in movies have houses that are too big, but right. for everything. Like, this is how. <laughs> This isn't how human relationships work. This isn't how jobs work. Like, nothing in this is... Okay, perfect example. Um, Talk about uh, Christopher Lambert in Highlander and how he doesn't really behave like a human being. (laughs) This is a bad movies like Collateral Beauty and Roadhouse or that idea personified. It's not really how people behave. It's how someone thinks people behave. But, again, Roadhouse has a monster truck driving over cars. Right, and and at the same time, I would argue that to some degree, (laughs) tell me you weren't watching Collateral Beauty just sort of riveted to, I can't believe I'm watching. Like, there's no no way you can tell what's coming next in Collateral Beauty. Like, there's a sort of jaw-dropping sort of like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, the the thing that leaves the bad taste in my mouth is how straight-faced it is. Right! Well, that's sort of the beauty, because had it been needling you, like, I'm in on the joke, it wouldn't have been near as fun. Uh, I don't, because, like, like I don't half know. The, the beauty of the Book of Henry is the fact that they think they're pulling this off. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. But like, getting back yeah. to the bad movie cult. Yes. And not only is that an issue, but women being allowed into the to participate in a bad movie cult not just as artists but as fans right uh, and i mean this is one of those things where women and people of color have been so like they're so not represented historically at the higher creative levels of films that like really bad movies being made by women or people of color or other marginalized groups are gonna be judged like the whole group is gonna be judged by that in a way that white filmmakers uh or just whites this hetero filmmakers are not and it's like that's another one of those ways where you can see the disparity in who is making movies because no like the the culture of film is not judged by the fact that like at large uh the sort of established film culture isn't judged by the fact that bad movies still get made right well okay perfect example uh, slasher films are bad movies. There's a giant cult around Absolutely. slasher movies. Um, one of the most famous ones has a new sequel out right now, Halloween. Uh, yeah. Uh, the film critic April Wolf has like made a point to say, "Look, um, the final girl theory was holds that the final that there will always be a final girl at the end, and she will save the day." Mm. That's the reading that we got from the '80s and '70s slasher flick, but that was 20, 30 years ago. It's time to step up the game. But since the final goal of theory became popular and mainstream, we still haven't seen a glut of slasher movies written or directed by women. They're yeah. still the victims. And like the violence is still against them and it's becoming a thing where like you haven't it, grown. You've just taken like you've used that theory as an excuse and it's becoming more and more grating because you're not pushing it. Yeah, because it, it can't it like it, it came from a description of in the media and it was after it was described it was then codified as the way things are supposed to be right it will happen with criticism sometimes <laughs> well yeah it's one of the things where like and that's and I bring that up simply because horror movies are the most famously bad easily the most easily cultified bad movies. Uh, Horror fans many times talk about their favorite bad horror movies more than they talk about their favorite... Horror movies have their own season. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's... There is a vein that... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was... was, You go. There's a vein that, like, I think it really sort of, like, it's the poison pill of the bad movie cult. It's the... Thing that keeps me from embracing a lot of bad movies in a way, simply because I'm like, well, yes, but there's no, there's like we have Tommy Wiseau, whatever he may be. Tommy Wiseau mm. is Tommy Wiseau, but no woman is given the same sort of benefit of doubt of going, well, it's so original and so insane that I just kind of love it, in mm. the same sort of fanatical way that these clearly hacks are. Yeah. Uh, like, you get to be a hack. Right. Like that's <laughs> a role that's available. 
fed all in a way, and I see these other sort of Roger Corman, these other great sort of B movie directors. Roger Corman's more of a producer, but there's mm-hmm. a sort of like you you almost get sort of anti Sidaris. It's like almost sort of like a crown of B movie fiefdom there. It's like you were able to make movies for cheap and exploitative, and they played on cable. Good on you. And right. yet there are almost no women or filmmakers of color in that stratosphere. It's the fact that, like, you know, when you're not being recognized for your talent, but for your ability to get it done. Mm-hmm. And I find that to be a little bit discon- more than a little bit disconcerting. And yeah. I love bad movies. Yeah, but absolutely. It's hard to it's hard to talk about bad movies and not see because Roadhouse is incredibly sexist. So there's a line that oh. Simulator has of that woman has way too nice of an ass to be that smart or something like that. Yeah. Which is absurd on his face. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. On so many levels. And I mean, that's just the the, the sexism that is spoken aloud. Right. Let We're alone, like, get the into framing the one of line shots. From the and... fight scene that is both homophobic until you realize... Is so homophobic just because it's so misogynistic. It just stumbles into being homophobic. It's just, uh, but because it falls yeah. into the another alternate reality. But at the same time, are we just excusing that because we enjoy the movie? I mean, is, is it one of those things that's that gets a pass because it gets a pass? It's like a self fulfilling thing, right? Like uh, just because it always has uh and i don't know i mean I, that's something i think about a lot because like we we do see a lot more um well a lot more we see more uh <laughs> directors and writers uh from not being cishet white people all the time uh but the 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 demand that they put out like great art which i'm not saying isn't happening like right. you know ryan ryan coogler's trajectory has been great. Well, Ava Verne's um, Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Which is flawed, which is exactly what, like, it's not a bad movie. It's a deep, it's a flawed movie, but at the same time, it's made for a very small demographic, which is fine. Yeah. But people wrote it off as, well, it's a bad movie and don't even bother. It's not worth it. But that's, no, of course it's worth something. If you listen to the little girls who see it, they respond to it. It speaks to them. It's, yeah. But because she is a woman of color, she's not afforded the same sort of magnanimity when it comes to perhaps maybe it's not meant for us. Or perhaps it speaks on a different level that we're not getting that these other people are somehow granted. That the, that the film, that the same like forgiveness is not somehow granted to the filmmaker of Troll 2 that is same to Ava DuVernay. That's insane. Right. Yeah. That's I because like because I believe Ava DuVernay's instincts and not so much instincts, but her intent to be more pure than the guy you did troll to. I'm sorry, I've seen interviews with the man. You think? I mean, I don't know, like <laughs> the the deep nuance of troll to that. <laughs> but man, even that... okay, let's okay, Suicide Squad. Yeah, there is a deep sort of inherent misogyny and racism. Throughout Suicide Squad, even oh, if we yeah. take out the studio meddling, like just the ways that the various like main characters are coded uh, racially, and like the stereotypes they lean into, even just even not even if we didn't go anything beyond character designs, there's some pretty screwed up stuff. Okay, going on. let's deal with uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, sure. and let's not even go into the whole Joker thing. Let's just deal with the outfit. Right. The outfit that we're, yes, she is quoted by saying, I like the hot pants, the fun. She's also quoted as saying she wasn't really comfortable with the outfit because of how exposed she was. Yeah. But that part somehow gets overlooked. That part fans somehow go, well, that's Harley. It completely dismisses the fact that the actress herself wasn't comfortable with the costume. Yeah. As though that's not, like, a thing worthy of consideration. Right. And, like, it, it's not even one of those things where, like... Oh, but it needs to be accurate to the whatever because it's a costume designed for this project. That is right. not a previously existing one, of which there are various choices that would at least cover more. If not, like if all of them are going to sexualize. Like that's uh, <laughs> if you right, use any of the costumes. Even then, for that like well, even the gesture outfit wouldn't is sexualized, yeah. but not near to the extent that right. it, the it, hot pants a... are. 
And yeah, even then, you can do the gesture outfit to where it's not figure hugging. You can do a loose fitting, God forbid, gesture <laughs> outfit. Oh my God, the internet would melt. It good. Would be Sometimes glorious. I think it deserves to melt. I wasn't saying it was a bad thing. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying I wouldn't have a problem with the fact that someone went out of the way to piss off the fanboys. Uh, yeah. Um. But Killer Croc, the way he's cut, the fact that Killer Croc watches BET and eats fried chicken. I am sorry. There's a thing that's what that is saying. You it's hard to not assume that they're hinting at something. Yeah, those are blatant it, stereotypes. He wears track pants and listens to it. Like it's just. I can't. Yeah, he he is. Uh, he's constructed as a. Big scary stick. Like the the only thing that doesn't fit is the skin color because he's been turned into a literal monster. Right. Like everything um, else is like if you reached back into the nineties and grabbed the definite like the 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 idea of super predator and right. just put it in on a screen and covered it with crocodile skin. Like it's horrific. The one member of the Suicide Squad that does die is the native. Oh, who is not given an intro the way every other character is. Which, or, I know people are like, but Jeremiah, other POC in the movie survive. I'm like, yes, but natives always die. From Westerns, how- or, like, the one the one magnificent thing about the mag- remake of The Magnificent Seven was the fact that the native lived. I've never seen the native character in a non-native-made movie get out alive. Or, or how about the fact that uh, El Diablo had, like, Day of the Dead tattoos over his face. And which he's is... a gangbanger from the barrio. Yeah. Which, which, I know which people also, like, like David Ayer's Latino, like, like, doesn't excuse the fact that this DC, is... DC movies, like, they, they do that weird exotification thing with Day of the Dead celebration in Batman v Superman, too. Uh, like, what? What are you doing? And and um, to some extent, you can be like, "Well, David A is like paying respect." Like, okay, I will give you to some extent the David A argument, but I've seen other David A movies, and he's always had issues with women, which Suicide Squad has in abundance. Yeah. Um, but getting also away from that, we get to the point that Suicide Squad doesn't make sense on a story level, on an editing level, on a directing level. It's a bad movie altogether. Like, the reveal that they're going in to save Amanda Waller (laughs) is the most confused I have ever been (laughs) in a movie. (laughs) Let's use a more modern version. Okay, now that we bought, let's go quickly now to Venom. Yes, I love Venom. We got about thirteen minutes. We can do this. I, yes. Okay. Venom let's, let's is talk a bad about, movie. Let's talk about our guilty pleasures. <laughs> bad movies that we like. Venom is great. It's a bad movie. There's no reason for anyone doing anything. There are no consequences, but it's a joy to behold. You know what? I I will actually say, in defense of this trash heap. Um, <laughs> Is that unlike a lot of ridiculous movies, the the main the like the principal characters behave in ways that are internally consistent. Right. <laughs> like like Eddie and Anne's relationship and how he screws up and how they respond to it and like the fact that this look the thing that makes Venom maybe one of the the most. Uh, impressive superhero movies, I will say impressive, is <laughs> the immediacy with which Eddie is taken to the hospital. Right! <laughs> Not only that, <laughs> but the moment <laughs> Anne finds out that he hacked into her computer and stole that information, and just, she's like, I'm done with you. Just nope. No <laughs> no BS. Just no. And it's like it, uh, that like all of the dumb things the characters do at least build toward a better understanding of the characters, with the exception of the villain, who is just Elon Musk played by a better actor than Elon Musk. Exactly. Um, I don't know I love, what his ultimate goal with the symbiote is, but <laughs> okay, fine. I don't think the symbiote knows either. Like he's paper thin, but I, I love Riz Ahmed, so it's fine. Right. Um, he's, he's enough for the role. Like, <laughs> And like his the the subordinate doctor who like tries to expose things to Eddie, Jenny like Slate? she, 
yeah, she behaves in a way that makes sense. Like, it's as much as it is a B-movie plot through and through, it's like a B-movie filtered through, like, somewhat more comprehensible human behavior, and it's I just staggering. that this multi-billion dollar secret lab has <laughs> no security to such a degree that the symbiote escapes because Eddie, because it breaks out of the, because Eddie breaks down the door to help yep. an old homeless person that he used to be friends with. Yeah. The symbiote <laughs> takes him over, he breaks out of the lab, and somehow they're like, how did this happen? Because the well, security footage doesn't show, and even uh, though the security guard sees Jenny Slate character, he never thinks to go, oh, you know what's funny? I saw that one doctor that was here after hours, that was weird. It's a mystery. <laughs> and uh, so two days later, they're like, oh, hey, I guess we finally got around to watching security footage. Hey, <laughs> turns out we got the whole thing on tape. Turns out it wasn't oh, yeah. really a mystery. Sorry, we, we were we were working through some, like, who was stealing stuff from the break room, and we couldn't get to the escaped alien <laughs> footage for a little right. while. That's us. That's on us. Like, it was just oh, delegate, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. No, it's, 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 uh, I love it. <laughs> right. It's like, it doesn't even matter because it's fun. Because it don't, like, it's that thing where Venom knows it's Venom in a way that Collateral Beauty doesn't understand Collateral Beauty is Collateral Beauty. No, it it knows, it thinks that it is what it wanted to be, and Venom is 100% what it is. Right. And it like, knows it. It doesn't, like, it, it puts on no pretensions whatsoever. I mean, that's, that, and I mean, pretentious is a word that gets thrown around a lot to a degree that it, it gets meaningless, like a lot of words that get thrown around a lot. But right. I do think that that... Like that's the the thread that I I see when I look at like life itself and and collateral beauty like why I'm, I draw that comparison to like the like very early student fiction writing is that it's it's pretension is what happens when you want to say something meaningful and can only like mime things that you think are meaningful to you probably I love... and, and like that lack of awareness. The, like within moments of meeting Anne, because Venom is a parasite, he understands what Eddie did, and he's yeah. like, "Well, why don't you just apologize? You should, you should apologize. You might not get another chance." Which the I think the alien same... symbiote who wishes to take over the world understands basic human relationship yeah. better than the entire Marvel universe writing staff. It's so, it's so good. Like Anne and Eddie, and like Anne's new boyfriend. Like I love that. That played Dr. out so Dan. well. Dr. Dan is <laughs> oh, the hey, best. Oh, hey, Dr. Dan, you on the call? Boyfriend. Yes, Eddie, I am. <laughs> and the fact that, like, Eddie and the symbiote are, like, going to be in the background, like, scheming on how, ooh, how we, we could get back with, we get back with Anne, though. Oh, but we liked it. Like, it's a sitcom. They when left as, it for the sitcom setup. As Eddie leaves, Venom says, you belong with us, Anne. <laughs> it's so and good. Sydney could look at her sitting there like she doesn't know that she'll soon be within our arms. It's like yeah. the fact that Venom so becomes like a giant stan of Anne. Yeah, Venom <laughs> space wingman. Like it is... <laughs> I will I will own this movie. And I, I don't buy as many movies physically anymore because I'm poor. So, like, the two movies that I will have gone out of my way to buy this year on... Uh, well, Venom might not come out until next... Whenever it comes out, I will buy it as soon as I can. Because that will be, like, Sorry to Bother You and Venom will be the two movies that I bought physical copies of in the last, like, eight months. Well, well no, Venom is also one of those movies that's bad. And you can see how someone... Could not like it. Like again, when you yeah, understand see... all the structural deficiencies, and yeah, yet... I could understand the kind of criminal mind that wouldn't enjoy <laughs> Venom. Like I could, I could parse that. Yeah, but it's also joyous in a way that, like, a non-self-serious in a way that is so rare for a comic book. Like the the, the studio thing that movie. The thing that would have made that movie legitimately good is if they had cut as much as possible of the comic book villain plot and added more hijinks with, like, Eddie the Symbiote, Anne, and Dr. Dan. Like, <laughs> I I want that. <laughs> it's... The thing, oh, like, there's a lot of things that Venom does which are really sort of daring in the... The whole Jekyll and Hyde relationship between Venom and Eddie yeah. Brock. Honestly, the motorcycle chasing is kind of fun. It it is. It's I I I can also I, the the original the first fight scene 
in Eddie's apartment. It's really sort of like you. Well, was it you who said Jackie? Yeah, Chan? I, I, yeah. It evokes uh, Jackie Chan's uh, brilliant turn in the tuxedo, which I know you have seen many times. I saw at least uh, twice on opening day. <laughs> There's a history uh, of Sherman involving an obsession with Jennifer Love Hewitt, which one day we may go and do. Yeah, but because uh, in the tuxedo, ja- it was Jackie Chan pretending that he wasn't in control of his body while fighting. <laughs> and, of course, Jackie Chan is a fight artist. So, like, <laughs> like he is a he is a punch crafter. Like, that, that man can just, any fight scene with Jackie Chan, I am there for. And, like... Venom legitimately evoked memories of that to me. Like, it's not, they're not brilliant fight scenes, but, like, it, Eddie evokes that, like, it evokes that, like, I don't know why I'm doing this, and it's, it's just fun. It's fun to see because so many other superhero movies have the heroes already trained, or even so trained enough to where it's not goofy. (laughs) And I think that's where Venom succeeds the most is it's not afraid to be goofy and we've seen so many sort of self-important comic book movies it was Mm. nice to see one that was like (laughs) it's kind of why i love justice league because there's a grave robbing scene in justice (laughs) and they're just sort of a sort of bonkers sort of mentality about it all that i'm like Uh. i wouldn't get this in any other movie yeah uh i i like that comparison because like the the good parts of Justice League, I think, have that similar vibe. Um, it's just I, a shame that I would that it's... sooner want to go back to Justice League than I would possibly any Avengers movie. Mm, and I, I mean, mean that simply because, like, outside of the first one with the great scene with the old man, I I have a I have a, a an incredibly strong affection for uh, Age of Ultron. Just rewatched it recently. Uh, right. Ultron is a better villain than Thanos. You can at me, fight me, I will win. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, like there's a charm to Venom that just I didn't realize I had not seen. You know what? You know what? Another you know what a comparison I would make is what Swamp Thing. Ooh, something is a. That's we should do a deep dive on John. Carpenter, we should. So. <laughs> we should carpenter it up in the near future. But I think we, pr- having bounced off the walls of a variety of bad movies, I think we are nearing the end of our time. Yes, we are. Um. <laughs> but that's a perfect example. Like no, um, the like bad movies can go so bad. Like there's a charm and goofiness to the sincerity of it, and yeah. even collateral beauty in its own way. There's a sincerity to it. Movies it's like not... Suicide Squad are insincere. Yeah, and it's when like it becomes federal beauty, at the end of the day, is not painful to watch, right. although it is painful to think about. I think honestly, the the veneer of a bad movie starts to wear thin, and the mm. enjoyment uh, evaporates when you start to realize the movie itself is not playing fair or doesn't believe in what it's doing. When you want, it becomes really sort of nakedly obvious that they are really just trying to waste your time and yeah. they don't have the faith in you to know that they aren't wasting your time, that they just yeah. want your money. All movies just want your money, but when it becomes nakedly obvious to a crass extent, that's when I think the veneer becomes apparent of, oh, I know you. You don't want me here. I don't need to be here. You don't even want to do the bare minimum of entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and also, I feel like for a future conversation, I think also bad dramas versus bad um, like genre movies, for lack of a more precise term, I think well, that the, they fail in really different ways. Right. And, and I, I also think, think going back to that sort of stigma, uh, bad melodramas like Collateral Beauty have yeah. a sort of... I sort of like the bad movie cult would never look at that because it's quote unquote feminine. Yeah, because I could see that as an it just deals yeah. with drama. There's no supernatural element. Well, there's a supernatural element in the end, but <laughs> it it just sucks. <laughs> uh, okay, I mean, so... that's, well, it is also interesting that neither you or I, and uh, even though we know what happens in the movie, think of Collateral Beauty as a genre movie. It really, but it is to some extent. I would say it's a melodrama. Yeah, well, I know, but I mean, you you know what I mean, though. Like, right, it's not, absolutely, it's not one of the ones that we would reflexively think about unless we pause and think about, like, oh, well, I mean, it 
it's got a supernatural twist and it's it has it fits into this sort of soap opera melodrama sort of tr- like it and i think I that know. toxicity sort of is what damages the modern film audiences love of melodrama which i think is a legit genre and should yeah. be talked about more we gotta well, I mean, go yeah we gotta go okay all right, uh, uh, don't hey, forget hey to uh, check- what, what else should people listen to on the fundamentals Jer- uh, on the fundamentals website jeremiah the fundamentalists with Ooh, gretchen yeah. julia and kylie unabashed book snobbery like uh, ladies first. Uh, ladies are smart. La- uh, right to survive, and um, our podcast. If you get on iTunes, if you can find us, they do review us. That's how we get our wood out. Yeah, uh, you can find Thad at his Twitter handle, which is <laughs> at Thaddeus Strange, all one word. Although all one word is not part of it. It's yeah. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> uh, uh, Jay Sherman Fiction for me. Um, <laughs> That's all the time we have for now. We can, we'll we be back next time. Uh, thanks for listening, and have a good one, folks. Bye.